Welcome back to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Allison Dunn, executive coach and founder of the Deliberate Leaders Podcast, where we strive to help leaders build strong, thriving businesses. Each episode, we feature inspiring interviews to help you on your leadership journey. I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. We have with us Victoria Song. She began her career as a venture capitalist, investing in the fastest growing technology startups, where she got to see firsthand what the most successful uh, entrepreneurs did differently to win. She was featured in the Forbes 30 under 30 list for her investment success. After studying economics at Yale College and leadership at Harvard Business Review, She received her most valuable learnings from over 24 of the world's best coaches, therapists, and alternative healers who teach lessons not available in even the most exclusive universities. She is the author of Bending Reality, How to Make the Impossible Probable. Um, In her book, Victoria Reveals How to Harness the Power of Your Own Energy in Order to Bend Reality in, I'm going to add deliberate direction of your choosing. So Victoria, thank you so much for joining us here today. Pleasure to be here, Allison. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I have, I like to kick these off with a quick deliberate conversation. What would be your number one leadership tip for our listeners? My number one leadership tip is to cultivate your emotional intelligence, because I believe that our ability to master walking with our fears, our stress and anxiety, unlock our ability to bend reality in the direction that we want. Okay. Super curious. I would love, I think we're going to dive into that because I think it's the, the, the premise of your book. Um, so let's get started on that. Um, bending reality, um, in time, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, um, exactly how does one do that? Yes. So I call it bending reality because I believe that we are always co-creating our reality. It's just, if we do it unconsciously, we often bend it in a direction that we don't want in an unfavorable way, because it's often rooted in what I was saying, fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? Um, and before you know it, our perceptions and our fears become self-fulfilling. And so bending reality gives you the codes and a step-by-step guide to how to consciously bend reality in the direction that you want. Uh, and what does that look like? Um, my clients have been able to collapse time, sell their companies for $4 billion, create a more effective COVID vaccine during the pandemic, uh, download patent ideas in 24 hours, do things that seem illogical to the mind. Um, that's what it looks like to bend reality. Okay. Um, I am hoping that by the end of this end of this interview, you can give us a few techniques on exactly how to bend that reality. Absolutely. Uh, um, I love the fact that we have these predetermined ideas of how long certain things should take and just to like, like, like get rid of that and actually make something happen. Exactly. I know that, um, in your intro, um, I kind of teed up the fact that you had incredible, valuable learnings from over 24 world experts. So Um, what, um, how did you get exposure to that? And what did that journey look like? Yeah. So I got my first coach in 2013 and it was a life coach specifically. Mm -hmm. And since then I've hired career coaches, business coaches, sex coaches, health coaches, um, really you name it. Um, I'm now working with my 25th coach, uh, and still counting. 
Um, and I think, you know, the way I got started is how, how I think a lot of clients find my work, which is they believe they're looking for something very specific, very tactical, very strategic. It's usually like, I want to improve my leadership or I want to improve my communication skills or my gravitas or my presence. And that's what I was looking for when I asked around looking for a coach. Um, I didn't know what a life coach was when I found one. Um, and you know, my first conversation, I asked if this was going to improve my speaking presentation skills. And of course she said, yes, you know, we're going to build your confidence, which will ripple out into better speaking skills. And so I was bought in and started it. Um, and before I knew it, I realized how much of my life I'd been living on autopilot, uh, really just living from subconscious patterning things that I'd learned from my childhood, from my family upbringing, from culture, from you know, the norms, what everyone thinks is the status quo of belief systems. Um, and then quickly I got so passionate and excited about uncovering and rewiring so many of these beliefs. And I'm now, you know, rewired patterns and coding across all those topics I mentioned prior. So whether that's health or leadership or love relationships, um, leadership, business, m- money, you know, every topic under the sun, I've um, gotten to look under the hood at my coding around that. Um, so yeah, that's how I got started with it. I became a power user of coaches and I really think my life can be, um, you know, characterized by me before coaching and me post coaching. It's like a completely different version of me. If you were to pick today, what your favorite, uh, breakthrough has been for you, that's been the most transformational, um, what coding and what breakthrough? Yeah, it's a great question to share. Yeah. I mean, it's so tough to pick one, but I would say that, um, perhaps the one that, you know, ripples out into every other one is just ultimately like my sense of worthiness and deservingness of my dreams of, you know, being, doing, having what I want. And I think it's so interesting how much our self-worth gets tangled up into different narratives and everyone has a different story around why, what we've done or couldn't do, um, impacts our worthiness. And I had my version and history of that. Um, and I'd say that, yeah, I think that if we can heal that coding, it does, you know, spill into our potential in business or potential in the money, the amount of money we can make, how we take care of ourselves, the kind of love we can attract, uh, just really everything across the board, how we show up in the people and the communities that matter to us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that uh, worthiness. I love that. In um, in your book, you talk about um, how people can reach peak performance um, without burnout. So give us some tips on that. Uh, Yes. Is a prevalent issue today. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is this framework called contraction versus expansion. And I believe that a lot of us, and we can talk about what contraction is. If you just tuned into this week, Allison, and thought of like an event that you didn't enjoy something that was stressful, maybe you wish it went another way. Can you think of an event of this week? It's only Tuesday Uh, Yeah, or in the past seven days. (laughs) Um, uh, can I, um, sure. Uh, I've had a very uneventful week. That's sad to admit. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can tune in. Okay. You don't have to give us the details, but when you feel into it, what do you notice happens in your body? Um, well, it makes me, uh, warm. It makes me feel smaller than I normally am. And I would say it also 
gives me a sense of um, possible like doubting like direction of where we're headed. Yeah, great. So this state that you just described is what I call contraction. And it's a state where we physically feel tightness in our, maybe our chest or breathing changes. We feel smaller, as you mentioned. And it's a state that I find a lot of us without realizing operate from. And when we are particularly thinking about the future, something we haven't done before, maybe we're up-leveling to another level of success we haven't. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown. And in that state, we often um, have a lot of that. What if, you know, impending doom generator of like, what if it doesn't go well? What if, you know, I make it and people don't like me anymore. What if, you know, just everything that can go wrong, what might people say? Um, and I find that a lot of entrepreneurs and just high achievers in general are often driven by a fear of failure, a fear of maybe like being humiliated, doing something embarrassing. Um, you know, what might people think about them? And as a result, there's often this desire to prove something, to prove they're smart enough, good enough, have what it takes. And a lot of um, business owners, owners and entrepreneurs start businesses from this place. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's probably one of the most common fuels that I see. And I think it's a very toxic feel you probably are aware of as an executive coach that it ends up not only pushing and burning out um, the entrepreneurs and your clients, but it also is toxic for everyone around them, whether that's their families or their employees or the cultures when they're rooted in that lack and that scarcity of like time running out competition. Um, no matter what I do, there's always another fire to put out. Um, and so that's the vibe of contraction. And um, I believe that the way to re reach your peak performance without burning out is to learn to plug into a more sustainable re-energizing fuel which is what I call of expansion. And so just asking the same question now for the past seven days, um, what's an event that you felt really grateful for? Something that felt really good when it happened? Many. So I've got that honed in. Good. Yeah. So tuning into one of them. Okay. Um, once you do, what do you notice in your body when you remember this event? Um, I feel like my lungs are able to fully breathe in. Um, I feel like, um, almost lighter and I'd say like, I can see beyond, I can see present, but I also can see beyond. And it is definitely not, um, like trying to like figure out <laughs> what I did in the past. You know I mean? love that. Yeah. It's like, you're in this more receptive, open place for inspiration, creativity, possibilities. Yes. Um, I love that you noted that because that's exactly what you get access to from the state that I call expansion. And so the book really goes through, how do you begin to release contraction so that you can make expansion your default state? So how do you learn to start living and operating from this more expansive place? And sometimes, you know, an easy tip is just thinking about what you're grateful for. As we mentioned, you know, this event this past week, um, other ways of doing it is plugging into your sense of purpose and mission. You know, so maybe you have a sense of the impact you're here to make your why that drives all your business activities. Um, also connecting to your values, right? The things that are uniquely you. Um, that's another way to be more expansive, um, doing things that feel like play, that feel like fun for us, operating our zone of genius. These are all the things that we really value as coaches helping our clients operate from, because I believe it helps us plug into these more expansive fuels that, um, when we do so re-energize us and are really healthy, not just for our well-being, but for everyone around us. Yeah. Um, is expansive fuels, a terminology that has much, uh, uh, 
research on because I love the idea of it, but I don't think it's a term I've ever used or heard. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think some people do research on it as like peak performance or in the zone with athletics or even in the spiritual realm, you know, there's a, some sort of flow state that you access in meditation. Um, so I think that people call it different things and this framework of contraction or expansion just felt really intuitive and really, um, somatically something that you can, you know, know in yourself. Uh, and that's one of the things I help my clients with is how do we get out just the mental concepts of things and create more of that somatic experience so that we can, again, like feel more of the energetic patterns in our bodies and make sure that we can rewire things on a much deeper level than just mentally understanding something, but starting to really live it in our bodies. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you, uh, do some research regarding what some of the greatest leaders, uh, today, um, do to navigate change and facing the unknown. So, um, share, share your tips and some strategies around that. Absolutely. So one of the things that I've noticed is that, um, if our nervous systems are particularly tight, which is what I was mentioning, this contracted state, um, this can happen, uh, from, you know, not knowing how to feel and process our emotions fully, or trying to numb ourselves to certain feelings, all of these things, um, like not knowing how to release stress and anxiety from our system end up widening up our nervous system even more. And what I found is that the more wound up our nervous system is the harder it is for us to sit in any uncertainty. So sitting in the unknown, um, triggers our fight flight response, anything that we don't, we can't control and predict really feels unsafe from this place. And so I found that the leaders who know how to sit in the unknown, navigate change, um, are the ones who can keep their nervous systems regulated and calm and peaceful, relaxed, expansive in the face of the unknown. And one of the ways to do that is to really focus on making your dreams bigger than your fears. I found that, you know, a lot of people talk about don't let your fears get in the way. But at the end of the day, I found that there's almost, it's almost impossible to not have fears, to not have the physical experience of fear in your system. And so it's important. I feel for readers and people tuning in today is, you know, not necessarily to wait until the fear goes away, because I think at every level of unknown, every level of success, there's new fears that come up. Um, what's important is to know first, like, okay, is this fear rational? Is this something that might actually happen? And then if you do feel like it's a rational fear, you can do something about it. Perhaps you might think, oh, that's a great thought. I should navigate around that, create a plan B around that. Um, or what's even more important is a question of, okay, well, would I still be doing this? If that could happen, am I still yes to this mission or project, even if that happened, um, could I basically, could I handle it if the worst case happened? And I think this is a question that if we just ask ourselves, then we feel again, that we're more at choice and at peace with the possible fear that might be impending. And ultimately that's what I think allows us to navigate the unknown is the knowing that we're safe, no matter what we're okay, no matter what, because sometimes we, um, confuse and tangle discomfort with unsafety you know, anything that feels uncomfortable, we immediately think, oh no, I'm not safe. Uh, but there's actually quite a gap between, you know, discomfort, uncomfortable feelings, avoiding conflict, speaking your truth, having hard conversations, like that's uncomfortable, but you're not unsafe, you know, but our physical bodies don't necessarily process it 
um, as, as, okay, I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. And so one of the tips that I have for any leader who wants to navigate change is to check in, ask yourselves, are these fears rational? And then if the fear feels like it might actually happen to ask yourself, am I still a yes, even if it happens? Yeah. Great two questions to ask for sure. Um, so, uh, navigating change. Um, I think we've got some great techniques around that. There's, um, a lot of talk about, um, whether we can create our own luck and mm-hmm. do you have a recipe for that? Yeah. Um, so we've touched on it a bit, which is that I truly believe that those of us who, um, you know, look over at someone and say, wow, how did they do that? They're not smarter than I am. They're not more confident, but they just went after their dreams and somehow got lucky. And I think again, this expansive state is where we can bend reality from. And again, the things that get us into the expansive state are passion, optimism, our vision, our belief that we can do it, our big reason, mission, purpose, and why. And what I found are the people who seem to be able to go after what they want from that place of expansion or have a higher chance of hitting it. It's almost like they're changing the odds by coming from an expansive place than from coming from a contractive place. Uh, Cause if you can imagine someone who's from a contraction the thoughts and feelings they have are going to sound like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm doubting myself. I don't have what it takes. What if I fail? What will people think? The feelings they have might be like shame, guilt, regret, should judgment, like, gosh, I should have known better. I should have worked harder. I need to push myself harder. Like all of that. Um, really, I believe not only uh, minimizes the level of success you can obtain, but it often gets in your way and ends up, um, kind of like leaking your life force energy in all of that spinning and doubting. Um, and so I find that the people who are able to stay plugged in again to their vision, their values, their why their passion, their purpose have a ability to bend their odds. Sure. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about how people can work in their zone of genius and, Um, I find, um, sometimes that people fight that a little bit of like, you know, they do work that's outside of that. So what are your tips on how someone can find their own unique zone of genius? And then how do you actually like own it and live in it every day? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, that people struggle with it. Cause I do believe people are taught and trained to expect struggle, you know, just from a very young age with their schooling system. It's like, it needs to be hard and almost kind of boring. And the harder it is, the more justified we'd feel to make money doing it, you know, and we undervalue the things that come naturally to us. And if something comes really too easily to us, we feel bad charging anyone for it, you know? Um, so I love that observation. And so one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is to identify the things that feel like fun for them, sort of how like athletes love the game. It's so much fun for them or engineers enjoy problem solving. There's like a play element to it. So it's identifying the things that feel like play for you. And then it's also looking at the activities that feel like a 10 for you. So we talk about feeling expansive, what lights you up, you know, and what feels, um, yeah, like on a scale of one to 10, so much fun for you. And then, um, ultimately give you can even love what you do. You know, I'm sure you have a love for your work as an executive coach. I believe that's one of the most renewable, sustainable fuels is the love that you have for the work that you do. And so I think that's the 
the intersection to be, um, in your zone of genius. And so one thing that I would say is, you know, you can make a two by two where you just have the columns be things that I love, things that I don't love. And then things that I am good at. And then things that I'm not good at is your rows. And then just categorizing every activity that you do day to day with your job into one of those boxes. And ideally you're in the quadrant of things that I love and things that I'm really good at. And, um, there's two tips to, you know, staying in your zone of genius. One, if you can, you have the resources and team It's just to outsource anything that's outside of your zone of genius. Cause I do believe we dilute our talent. And if we are doing something that feels dull and boring and life force, you know, draining to us, then we're not even going to be coming from our best to our zone of genius, the things that we are actually good at, you know, so we're kind of wasting our talents there. And then if you can't have the resources do that one kind of reframe that I find very helpful is to connect your activities back again to like your purpose statement, your mission statement, your sense of value. So if one of your values is I want to make an impact in the world, then you can say, okay, how does paying my bills help me make an impact? Well, it supports my business and my business, you know, allows me to give my gifts to the planet and that's high impact. And so just remembering reframing is like, okay, what's the, why, how does this support my mission in the world can help you get that energy and feel, um, expanded by the activity versus again, like feeling, Oh, why do I have to do this? This is so annoying. Um, so that's another little reframe you can do when you can't outsource it. Um, I think outsourcing is a, is a, a really outstanding example of like what is getting us outside of our zone of genius. If uh, someone um, has a lot of areas that they don't feel like they're spending a lot of their time in, but uh, um, is preventing them from being in their zone of genius, what is your suggestion if they can't outsource? Yeah. As I was mentioning, it, it is reframing it as understanding, okay, like how does, why does this matter? And so I believe that, um, yeah, like the activities that I do day to day, once I remember what this makes possible, how does paying my bills enable me to serve my gifts? It does make me feel more excited. It's almost like if I can't tie it back to my value system, I'm better off not doing it at all. I think, I think that kind of like deciding whether you're going to do it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talk about, uh, creating, um, one's own playbook to collapse time and achieve unreasonable success. Tell me more. Yeah. You know, I noticed in the entrepreneurship realm, and maybe this is true everywhere, there's a tendency to look at other people's playbooks and like other successful companies. Like, Oh, how does Google do it? I want to know what their culture secrets are and like, what's their feedback system like, or what is uh, Apple or uh, Facebook or what's Mark Zuckerberg do, or what does Steve jobs do? You know, there's a lot of wanting to be like the geniuses or the visionaries. And what I have found is that when you mimic or copy another's playbook, you only reach what I call local maximum. And so, you know, for instance, like if I'm hiking here in park city and I park city is where I'm at right now. And if I look out at the mountains next to me, I might mistake the mountain next to me. Cause it's the tallest one I see as the global maximum. I might think it's the tallest mountain in the world. And if I think I summit that, then I'll summit the tallest mountain in the world. However, what happens is that that's actually just my local maximum. And I don't realize that. So while copying someone's playbook might make me slightly better, it's not going to help me reach my full potential. And so what I help my clients with is 
how do you start to actually look for your full potential, your global maximum, a paradigm that maybe the world has never seen before, something that only you can uniquely bring to the planet. And so it really encourages them to look at first principles and building up their own playbook versus copying someone else's. Okay. So I do see a lot of copying going on in just in the world today. Yeah. Um, I love the concept of a local maximum. So, um, and, and the example that you gave, um, what would be some of the, what would be a technique that you would, uh, employ to help someone see beyond the local, uh, maximum that they're in, in. Yeah. I think the first thing is the moment you notice yourself admiring what someone else is doing, you know, inspired by something that someone else is doing. I think the first question to ask yourself is, okay, why do I think that person's doing X, you know, rather than just copy them really get to the root cause of why does that make sense in their world? And it could be something as simple as, okay, let's just take a very human example. Say I learned that my friend drinks green juice every day. I could just decide I'm going to, I'm going to drink green juice every day, or I can ask my friend, like, why do you drink green juice? What do you think that's doing for you? And really understand what's the problem they're solving for. And then understanding their why will allow me to say, oh, okay, well, do I care about my health? Is that actually a health concern of mine? And if it is, then I can find a solution that might be more attuned to what my health concern is. And so it's just kind of like a a deeper asking of like, why is that person doing what they're doing? Uh, And it, it allows you to not assume solutions and really get to the bottom of root cause analysis. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. You, uh, you talk, um, a lot about, uh, why the future belongs to the emotional intelligence and then the importance of mastering unpleasant emotions. Yes. Tell me more. This is one of my favorite questions because I feel like it's so under-talked about in this realm. Um, And I kind of opened it when I mentioned emotional intelligence. So I believe that one of the hardest things that's going on on the planet right now is people who have low emotional intelligence who are making very ego-driven decisions. I think that that ends up hurting the world, our companies, our families, our communities. I mean, I don't, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I think you can understand why. Um, And ultimately, not only is it hurting the planet, but it's actually a very suboptimal, or we'll call it a local maximum in terms of the potential those people can reach. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because you know, when we can, uh, feel and process emotion. So I believe that for many reasons I go through in the book, we're taught at a young age to numb or avoid or distract ourselves from feeling our emotions. We're kind of, we learned at an early age that any discomfort is bad. If I'm not happy, something's wrong. I'm not supposed to be unhappy. If I'm unhappy right now, then something bad is happening, you know? Um, and again, we associate discomfort with unsafety. And as a result, we end up avoiding people in situations that might make us feel uncomfortable, which means that we're born into a metaphor I use is like a castle with infinite rooms, all called the diversity of life. But then because we don't want to feel certain emotions, we end up um, you know, crossing out certain rooms in the castle. We don't want to be, feel this way. We don't want to upset that person. We don't feel disappointment. And then before you know it, we're in this little tiny room that we have mastery over. And it's like the room we have control and prediction over. And we really limited the diversity of life of the castle to this one tiny room that we now live in. And I feel like a lot of people live that way. And as leaders, 
what that can look like is needing to constantly control and predict your environment, control and predict the people, control and predict your power over others. And um, all of that, I believe, is in service of them not feeling small, in service of them not feeling uncomfortable, in service of leaders um, not having to deal with um, the anxiety that comes with a lack of control. And so one of the first things that I help my leaders do is how do you learn to be with and walk with fears, stress, anxiety, things not going the way you want them to go, conflict, um, upsetting people, hurting people's feelings. Like sometimes we avoid speaking our truth or having a difficult conversation because we don't know how to deal with that discomfort. Um, and as you know, part of being a leader is doing the hard, uncomfortable thing regularly. Um, and so learning how to be with and process those uncomfortable emotions, I believe allows you to have the freedom to then not need to avoid any person or situation from happening. And so in a sense, it allows you to go after those bigger, bolder dreams, take those larger risks because you're not in that protective zone of, I just need to keep myself safe. Um, and so I think, you know, all of our dreams, all of the visions, all the things that we're really capable of are outside our comfort zone and outside our safety zone. And when we don't know how to process and be with uncomfortable emotions, we're often left in that safety and protection realm. What is the, um, the, um, the action that people need to recognize where they're at and lean into that and be there? Yeah. So it's very uncomfortable, but I do um, encourage readers and my clients to lean into the emotion. So for instance, when a client comes to me and says like, I feel like the board's going to go with a different decision than the one that I want. I'm really upset. No matter what I say that I can't talk sense into them. And they feel like they're losing control over the situation and the decision's going to go a different way. That anxiety and stress is often tied on the other end and this might sound like therapy, but it's often tied to a prior moment in time where it might've reminded them of being bullied or taken advantage of, or, you know, just having a situation not go the way they want. And that can trigger some trauma from the past. And so the first thing I have clients do is to actually just breathe and to lean into that discomfort and that anxiety of like, wow, loss of control that is bringing fire in my chest. Like I'm feeling like I want to scream. Like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't even know what to do. And it's just, again, that mind body connection to be able to identify and label the sensation in the body. So kind of like that exercise we did where you said, you noticed your lungs felt fuller and bigger. Well, in this case, if you're feeling fire in your chest and want to scream, it's a totally different experience. And I might've been encouraged that client to grab a pillow and scream into the pillow, because I believe that we want to move this energy pattern out of our system. Because what happens is when we don't feel our uncomfortable emotions, we freeze them in the body and they're left unprocessed and stuck in our bodies. And so one of the first things I do, if you think of energy is just energy in motion is okay, well, let's get that out of your system. Are you feeling the urge to scream, scream into a pillow, go to a boxing class, go run it out, you know, like let yourself move that energy through breath movement or sound. Um, breath work is another common one for my clients. Um, so that would be one tip is just counterintuitively imagine there's a dial on that emotion and you're actually putting the dial up to like a 10 and really leaning in to the center of the discomfort in the book. I say like going into the eye of the storm and like turning it up and allowing yourself to feel it wash over you. That's the first tip. That's awesome. Um, 
So leaning into it and really allowing a channel to release it and recognize it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's information for you as opposed to trying to avoid it or pretend it's not there. (laughs) I have one final question before we wrap up. So, um, uh, you touch on mani- manifesting the idea of manifestation and suggest that um, it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> tell us more. Yeah. So I think that there's two reasons for this. One is in the spiritual re- realm, they call it like spiritual bypassing, where it's like, instead of looking at the hard thing, which is what we just talked about going into the center of it, feeling the pain and discomfort, there's this idea of like, I'm just going to sit back and be happy and meditate and think about, you know, like butterflies and by visualizing this positivity in my vision, it will just happen, you know? And I think that that can be very misleading because one, I don't think that that's how it works. So that's why I say manifestation doesn't work. But the second reason for it is because again, like if we come from this contraction, right, this fear, like I need this to happen or else, or this has to, you know, I'm not going to be okay if it doesn't work out the way I want it to anything that we are, um, operating from a place of contraction on is going to actually change the odds out of our favor. So we really limit our chance of success when we're coming from contraction. And so one of the key things that I believe allows um, us to change the odds, or if you want to call it manifest um, what you want, it's to make sure you're doing so from a place of expansion. So again, from that clear, calm, relaxed, expansive, grounded place of gratitude and excitement, can you then feel into the vision? And more importantly than just feel into the the vision that you have is understanding what are the thoughts, feelings, and actions that align with that vision. So I think, you know, in this work, we're all familiar with, okay, these are limiting beliefs. These are positive beliefs. Uh, We touched a little bit on today, like the difference between emotions that feel good in our body and uncomfortable emotions that feel like negative ones. But then lastly, the action piece. I mean, I don't know how you can make anything happen if you don't take any action on it. Um, And the actions that we're able to take from a place of, you know, courage, confidence, gratitude, excitement, believing in ourselves, all of that are, they look bolder. They're bigger actions than we're willing to take when we're playing small, when we're playing not to lose, when we're afraid of looking silly, you know? And so we really want to just watch, okay, if the formula for manifestation is getting my thoughts, feelings, and actions aligned, then I need to just systematically go through and ask myself, what are all the thoughts that support this vision coming true? What are the emotions that support this vision coming true? And then what are the actions I can see from this thought and feeling place that I can take to align with this vision? Yeah, that's a great, it's such a powerful exercise um, to take on. Awesome. Victoria, I sincerely appreciate um, all of your, your, um, your suggestions and tips today and um, kind of the understanding of um, how we can all tap into kind of a better, a better energy for what it is that we do on a daily basis and kind of dispel some of the things that I think that as a society, we kind of fall into. So absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having here, you here with us. Thank you. So good to be here, Allison. 